The state of Illinois and the city of Chicago are bracing for the possible spread of the coronavirus, although officials say the current risk is low. We'll talk about that and the week's news at the State House in this edition of Capital Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock, and I'm here with our bureau chief, Jerry Nowicki, and reporters Rebecca Anzel and Ben Orner. The novel coronavirus, officially known as COVID-19, has been spreading rapidly around the world, resulting in thousands of deaths worldwide. It's also disrupted global trade and rattled financial markets. Amid that concern, Governor J.B. Pritzker and Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot held a news conference Friday to reassure people that the public health systems here are prepared for a possible outbreak. While the risk to the general public remains low, we want you to know that our state and local agencies and officials are using every tool at our disposal to ensure the public's health and safety are well guarded. I want to be clear, the best thing the general public can do at this time is to continue with the same precautions that you take during flu season with renewed vigilance. Take care to wash your hands. Stay home if you're sick. Cover your mouth and nose during any coughs or sneezes. And clean often touched surfaces or objects frequently. And please visit a doctor if you're experiencing any symptoms, particularly if you or a loved one recently traveled abroad. Among the things the State Department of Public Health has done is set up a coronavirus hotline. That's 1-800-889-3931. They've also posted information on their website, idph.illinois.gov. Meanwhile, Mayor Lightfoot insisted the city of Chicago is on top of the situation. Chicago is the only city in Illinois where there have been confirmed cases of the illness, but she also tried to encourage people in the city to go about their daily lives. While we continue to closely monitor the situation, I want to stress to residents that the chances of contracting the virus continue to remain low. Our residents should continue and enjoy the city, its neighborhoods, particularly Chinatown, um, and its amenities as they normally do. Um, Fear cannot guide us um, in this moment. Thoughtfulness and preparations are the rule of the day. And I want to turn now to Jerry Nowicki because, Jerry, you follow the financial markets uh, more than I do. I'm personally afraid to even look at my 401k right now. But it sounded like what they were trying to do was not only calm the public, uh, but to calm the financial markets as well. What's going on there? So there's been a general global fear, it seems, from investors as the the Dow has um, dropped just about as as bad as it has at any point since 2008, um, and it's even below where it was a year ago, so it erased a lot of the gains that uh, investors have come to sort of depend on or whatnot. And I guess part of the concern there is that it has disrupted international trade, supply chains, because China, where this originated, is a major manufacturer. Uh, Certain cities there have been quarantined, uh, and we're now starting to see the virus in Japan and South Korea, the Middle East, Europe, South America, and some here in North America. Uh, so that's got investors pretty worried. Right. Like a lot of consumer products are affected because they're manufactured in China. Um, Disney World has theme parks there that, that have been closed. Uh, so it, it's a, it has a broad reach. Um, 
and seemingly nothing has been uh, immune to it. And so let's bring that back home to the state and state government, because when the stock markets dip like that, uh, it can affect state revenue uh, in the form of capital gains taxes. Right. And last April, there was, I think, a billion dollar, billion and a half surprise of added revenue. Um, It's hard to believe that that, something like that could happen again this year um, if, if the market doesn't recover. And this is one of the things I think some people have warned about uh, regarding Governor Pritzker's proposal uh, for the income tax overhaul uh, to raise tax rates on the upper income people because those people tend to get a lot of their income from capital gains. Uh, They're investors, uh, people in real estate and things like that. So um, do do you think that might add some concern? You know, if we do see a significant dip in state revenue, would that – could that possibly have an impact on how people feel about the graduated income tax? I don't know if it would affect uh, how people would vote on it. I think a lot of people are probably have their minds made up already. But uh, it is certainly one of the criticisms of the graduated tax is that it uh, injects some uncertainty into revenue forecasts. Okay. And so something else that you and I have both been covering is the fact that the budget process is getting underway here in the state house. Uh, you covered a hearing involving the public defender's office. I covered a hearing involving, uh, three of the state's universities and we seem to be hearing kind of a common theme coming out of them. Yeah. They're still, uh, feeling the effects of the budget impasse as, as they made clear. Um, the appellate defender that, represents people that can't afford private attorneys, basically, in, in, uh, in, on their appeals of criminal convictions. Um, they have a backlog of 2,600 uh, cases, which they said is a, you know, a crisis in the criminal justice system. So, and they said the reason they, they've been able to decrease it by 1,000 over the past two years um, from about 3,600 uh, is because you know, they've been fully funded after the, the years of uncertainty. Yeah, and public universities are making basically the same argument that after years of budget cuts and especially after the impasse, um, they're now being funded on an inflation-adjusted level uh, less than they were getting in you know the mid-2000s, early 2010s. And so Governor Pritzker has proposed a 5% increase on average for the state's universities. Uh, but the universities are coming in saying they need more than that. Uh, but Pritzker's 5% is contingent on the public approving that constitutional amendment on the income tax. Right. So another story that has come up this week was a call for a revamped sex education curriculum in Illinois schools and charter schools. Rebecca, you covered that. Who is behind this and what do they want? So it's a huge coalition of advocates. Um, Senator Ron Vilvalom, um and Representative Kathleen Willis uh, are leading the push legislatively. Um, basically, it is an effort to mandate sex education classes for kids K through 12, although um, it's important to note that they're not going to be teaching explicit things to kindergartners. That's got to have some people on edge, I would yeah, think. Yeah, it, um, if not explained properly, it's an invitation for opposition, um, of course, but, but kindergartners will be learning you know, how to have good friendships, essentially, and a few other things. And so what's, what's behind the push? I mean, what, what's driving this? So uh, Senator Villablom was saying that youth look at um, the news media and they see lots of stories about bullying um, 
And, and this would be a way to sort of teach everybody in both public and charter schools, um, you know, the differences in sexualities, um, genders and, and whatnot, and that this might be, be an effort to help people better understand each other, not, you know, to continue bullying each other. Okay, and so one of the people who spoke at the news conference that you covered was uh, Mike Ziri of Equality Illinois, that's a civil rights activist and advocacy group for the LGBT community. And he talked about going around statewide talking to LGBT students uh, about what kind of education they thought they should be getting and what kind of education they were getting. Let's listen to a little bit of what he had to say. Uh, and some of the things I heard were, were shocking and horrifying, frankly. One queer student told me that they were taught, and this is in 2019, that AIDS comes from being gay. Uh, another student who is transgender told me that when they asked the educator um, for, con for content that affirms trans lives, that student ended up having to teach other trans students about trans health issues. Uh, in fact, based on what I've heard from these students, it's not uncommon that LGBTQ students will have to educate other LGBTQ students about LGBTQ relationships. Okay, so apparently... What he seems to be saying there is that a lot of students, especially LGBTQ students, are not getting any kind of instruction uh, from their school. Their schools don't require it. I guess one of the questions that comes up is, why is this an issue for the General Assembly? Why isn't this an issue for local school boards? Illinois has, you know, populations on all ends of the political spectrum and um, the fear from some advocates is if you go into some of the more conservative areas that they won't teach sex ed in any form. Um, Bridget Leahy from Planned Parenthood had said uh, abstinence is something that this curriculum would, you know, encourage teaching and pointing out. But these kids need to have some sort of education, um, you know, both for basic heterosexual relationships and then trans um, trans people should should be able to learn about their their bodies and sort of what they're going through too, and and better educate other students about those issues. Okay, there has been a little bit of pushback, as I understand it, from the Illinois Association of School Boards, which just generally opposes the state mandating curriculum. They think that's a decision that school boards themselves ought to be able to make. Yeah, and and Bridget Leahy had said. Uh, that, that school districts would have great latitude about what exactly they're teaching as long as they follow um, medically accurate information. There's also sort of some, I don't want to say strife, but um, some disagreement among other advocacy groups that are pushing for a, a very, very similar bill, but that it wouldn't be a mandate. It's sort of like a guideline of what to teach in K-12, but there's no mandate there. So we'll see what happens with that. Okay, good. And so finally, let's bring in Ben Orner. He's with us by way of the University of Illinois at Springfield Public Affairs Reporting, or PAR program, and he's been writing a lot about agriculture this year. Uh, we got a little bit more information about last year's crop production. Uh, what can you tell us about it? Yeah, so uh, last month, the USDA released uh, statewide estimates for every state in the country. Uh, Illinois, one of the worst hit states by this you know, horribly wet, rainy spring planting season that farmers had in 2019. Uh, basically, last month's data showed uh, soybean production down about 20%, corn down about 18% in Illinois. But uh, this week, we've got uh, numbers for most counties. Uh, USDA didn't have accurate numbers for every county. So we're getting a little more detailed look at yeah. uh, who was really impacted by this. Yeah, we get to see which areas were more impacted than others. Um, Central Illinois, which is you know 
the, the biggest soybean producer anyway, um, they had less horrible weather um, than other counties. So central Illinois counties like McLean and Sangamon, uh, they led in soybean and corn production. Um, but the counties that were really, really hurt were ones along rivers. So you know, we saw, for example, Alexander County, um, which borders the Mississippi and Ohio rivers, uh, they saw, I think, soybean production down 60-some percent because um, they got, you know, all that rain, but then they also got flooded rivers. So central Illinois seemed to fare the best. Deep southern Illinois seemed to fare the worst. Um, what was kind of northern Illinois' uh, Northern Illinois, I think really that the story is here that most counties, if not all, saw... Um, uh, significant decreases in yields and in production. Um, though central Illinois fared better than other places, um, everyone was hurt. Um, and, you know, that's just something that happened for the entire state. Okay, so last year's problems were caused mainly by a historically wet spring. This year, we've had quite a bit of snow on the ground for a very long time. It seems like forever. Um, what are they predicting uh, about this this year's crop. Yeah, so with the snow that we've had um, this winter, uh, farmers are worried about how saturated uh, the soil is right now. Um, but I think the, the biggest thing they're looking at is uh, the National uh, Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, uh, NOAA, predicts a wetter than normal uh, March through May, uh, which planting season for corn and soybeans is uh, April and May. Um, so it'll be wetter than normal. I talked to the state climatologist. He said that um, we're not going to see, you know, such a horrible, uh, dramatic, rainy spring that we saw last year, but it will be wetter than normal, and it's something that uh, farmers are going to need to prepare for. So it could be bad, but hopefully not as bad as it was last year. Exactly. Well, let's keep our fingers crossed on that. For now, that's all the time we have this week on Capital Cast. Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation. Until next time, thank you for listening.